0: You know, many of us have certain beliefs and hold certain positions in life, and um, yet we haven't really thought through to its natural conclusion what those positions are. I heard a story recently about a young man who had just uh, become of age where he can get his driver's permit. And so he wanted to sit down with his dad and figure out when he could go and start to drive. And his dad, who happened to be a minister, said to him, I said, well, son, come on, let's talk about it. So they went and they sat down in his office and they began to discuss it. And his dad said, look, I'll tell you what. I'll let you drive under following three conditions. He says, number one, he goes, you know, what I want you to do is I want you to bring up your grades because I want you to study a little bit harder. You know, I, I want you to, to, uh, to put a little more effort into your schoolwork because I want you to read your Bible a little bit more. And I want you to get a haircut. So those are the three conditions. So a couple of months went by and his son came back to him and said, hey, Dad, Dad what about driving now? What, what do you think? And his dad said, well, you know, I'm proud of you. You know, you got your grades up. Your grades are a lot better than they were. And I've noticed that you've been studying your Bible a little bit more. But he said, you know what, though? But you haven't got your hair cut. And his son said, you know, Dad, I've been thinking about that. And as I've been reading through the Bible, I realized something I never really understood before. He said, you know, as I read through the Bible, a lot of great men of God had long hair. He said, you know, Samson had long hair. Moses probably had long hair, Noah had long hair, and you know, and, and I believe even Jesus had long hair. I said, I said Wow, well, that's an interesting argument. He said, but you realize also that they walked everywhere they went. <laughs> so, you know, sometimes, sometimes now, if you're going to hold to a certain belief or conviction, you better think it all the way through. And that fits in real well with what we're going to talk about here in a second. But, um, for those of you who don't know, my partner and I have a, uh, own a mechanical contracting company. I usually just throw that out in the summertime when you're hot and miserable. Uh, but actually, there's another point to that, which I want to tie in today. But uh, we, we specialize in doing heating, air conditioning, ventilation. And, and we learned a long time ago how critical it is, whether we're doing a commercial job or a residential job, how important it is that we have a schedule that actually works to the benefit of what we're trying to accomplish. And general contractors go through a lot of expense. They they take a lot of time and invest a lot of money and also a lot of resources into putting together what they would call a critical path schedule so that every subcontractor on a project knows when they're supposed to start, how they fall in sequence with the other trades that are on the project Also, that there is less confusion, there's more harmony there's less unnecessary expense and aggravation and all that goes along with it and it's real important that everyone knows where they fall into the sequence of events so that we can all finish a project successfully and there's nothing worse than being on a job with a superintendent that doesn't know how to manage the workflow or who's supposed to be doing what. Because we could go into a building and, you know, you don't want to have the, the ceilings in before the sprinkler pipes are above it or before the air conditioning ducts are run or before the electrician the electrician's done their work. And we get in sometimes where the walls are being framed and ceilings are being put in and there's nothing above the ceilings and it's like, what are you doing? And it gets a little bit tense at times on job sites. And it's important that you realize that there's a sequence of events that has to take place in order to come to successful conclusion on any project now what's interesting to me is i have thought about this whole idea of scheduling and all the problems that we tend to have in business and some of the aggravation that goes along with it the confusion the frustration uh and the discouragement as well sometimes you just throw up your hands and you go you know how are we supposed to do this i mean you know don't you understand and I was thinking about that because as we've been studying through the books of first and second Thessalonians and the letters that were written to these believers at this church in Thessalonica I think they had gotten to the point where we sometimes do in business where we just throw up our hands and say you know I I don't understand what's going on they were discouraged they were frustrated they were confused by the persecution that they were enduring Uh, they didn't understand what Paul had originally taught them and, and there was confusion about that And, uh, you know, all of these things are going on. And along with this confusion came certain solutions or suggested solutions that, you know, actually added to the problems and didn't really solve the problem. I like a story that I heard not too long ago about a a man who was having difficulties sleeping at night. In fact, his his, uh, inability to sleep had gotten to such a point that his wife finally said, you know, you need to sleep in a separate bed. And uh, he still had problems with it, and she suggested that he go seek some professional help so he went to see a psychiatrist and he went to the psychiatrist and he said you know I've been having a problem And the doctor said well what's the problem he goes he goes I lay in bed at night and I hear noises under my bed and I get down out of bed and I crawl underneath my bed and I look and there's there's nothing under there there's no one under there and I slide underneath the bed and I, I figure I can at least sleep on the floor he goes and as I'm laying under the bed I hear noises on top of the bed and so i got to get out and I look up above and I look on the bed and there's no one on the bed and there's nothing on the bed and then I end up sleeping there for a little bit and then I wake back up and I hear a noise again under the bed and it goes on all night long, day and night. I haven't had any sleep and it seems like, years. He said, Doc, can you help me? The psychiatrist said, I can, but it's going to take a while. You're going to have to come at least twice a week for a couple of hours a week for probably a couple of years, but I can resolve your problem." He said, well, Doc, how much is that going to cost? He says, well, I charge 200 bucks a visit. He said, 200 bucks a visit? Man, that's a lot of money for a guy like me, just a poor working stiff like me. I don't know if I can, I pay 200 bucks a visit, although I want to find some way to cure this problem. He goes, but I, that's, that's a lot of money. He said, I'm going to go talk to my wife and, and see what she thinks. So he goes home, talks to his wife, and, and uh, shortly after that, he calls the doctor and says, hey, Doc, I don't have to come in. He says, you don't have to come in. Why? He goes, you're yeah, not believe this. My wife solved my problem. I said, your wife solved such a difficult problem? How did she do that? I said, it was easy. She just cut the legs off my bed. <laughs> I was like, hey, you know what? I mean, think about it. Sometimes the solutions are really simple. It's like, and I, and I was thinking, you know what? All too often, God's people run around looking for all the solutions to their problems everywhere but where we should the solutions always staring us in the face it's as easy as cutting the legs off of a bed God's idea of keeping things simple is to turn us back to his word and he says look it's right here under your nose pick it up and look at it and read it and it'll give you clarity to all of your confusion it'll help you in all of your difficulties don't you understand that God is not a God of chaos and confusion, but He's got a plan for everything. He did not throw us here on this earth and say, okay, you're on your own, I hope it all works out. All you've got to do is look at the universe and look at the place, this place called earth where we find ourselves and realize that God is a God of order, a God of structure, a God of purpose. And it confounds all the wisest people in the world trying to figure out some: how did we get here, who are we, how did we evolve to who we are. And all the nonsense that you see people going through, God's saying it's pretty simple, all you've got to do is look around and realize there's a creator. The universe itself, all the material universe shouts forth that there is a God who created us. And what we need to do sometimes is just look for the simple solutions, which are basically right here in front of us, open it up and find out what God has to say. And uh, that's really what the Apostle Paul is trying to do to these people in Thessalonica who are struggling with all of these difficulties and all this confusion. And if you've got your Bible, turn with me to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 as he continues to give them insight as to the problems that they feel that they're going through. God's idea is to keep things very simple, and we'll see that as we go through this. In this particular In this particular session, we're going to take a look at God's timetable, and his timetable has to do with events that will occur in the future. If you are confused as to what God's plan is for man, what God's plan is for planet earth, what God's plan is for you as an individual, then God says, hey, I want to tell you what that plan is, and I'm going to keep it simple so that even a guy like Chuck can understand it enough to explain it to you. It doesn't get any simpler than that. And so that's what he's talking about in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, starting with verse 1. It says, Now we request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to Him, that you may not be quickly shaken from your composure or be disturbed either by a spirit or a message or a letter, as if it's from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come unless the apostasy comes first. And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called god or object of worship, so that he takes a seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as God. Do you not remember that while I was still with you, I was telling you these things? And you know what restrains him now, so that in his time he may be revealed." For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work, only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then that lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. That is, the one whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan with all power and signs and false wonders. And with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. And for this reason, God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they might believe what is false in order that they all may be judged who did not believe the truth but took pleasure in wickedness. In this particular passage, the Apostle Paul deals with the confusion and the fear that they were experiencing because of the persecution that they were enduring. Some of them believed that, you know what, the great day of God's wrath had taken place because of the difficult times that they found themselves in the midst of. And what Paul was trying to do is as he went back to these events, he's trying to tell them that, hey, look, you're not in the midst of the day of the Lord or this great day of tribulation or God's wrath that's going to take place. And the reason that you're not is that certain events have to take place before that day and those events haven't taken place yet. And he said, so I want to tell you what those events are so that there'll be no more uh, discouragement or no more confusion on your part. And that's basically what he's doing as he lays out for us in this particular chapter what needs to take place before this great day of wrath that God had promised takes place on the face of the earth. The first thing he reminds them is that there there is going to be the rapture of the church. The rapture of the church. In the first two verses we read this. "Now, Now we request, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, That you may not be quickly shaken from your composure or disturbed either by a spirit or a messenger or a letter as if it's from us to the effect that this day has already come. He's saying to them, and I like what he says because I can relate to it. He's saying in verse two, he's saying, look, calm down. Calm down, chill out, relax, take it easy. God's still in control. Everything's on schedule. God's timetable is set. And and, uh, he knows what's going on, and now he's going to share with us what's going on. He's just saying, chill out and calm down. You know, what's amazing to me is that that tends to be the typical result of any of us who take our eyes off of God's truth and start looking around for answers other than the answers that God has already given us. Isn't that true? There's always confusion there's always fear. There's always chaos when we take our eyes off of the truth of the word of God and run around and start asking one another, well, what do you think? I can just picture these people going through time of persecution saying, hey, what do you think? I mean, do you think this is the great day of tribulation? Is this the day of wrath? Is this the day of God's judgment? It must be because look how bad this is. And isn't this difficult? What do you think? Oh, I don't know, what do you think? Yeah, I think you may be right. And they're running around, they're asking each other what their opinion was. Hey, what's your opinion of this? What's your opinion of what I should do? What's your opinion of my marriage? What's your opinion of what I should do financially? What's your opinion? You know what, and I say this, who cares what your opinion is? I mean, if somebody's going to ask me my opinion, I get real concerned about it. Because I know this about me. I've made mistakes in the past. Have you? Doesn't it concern you when somebody asks your opinion of something? I would be very concerned because I know me, I'm not perfect, I've made mistakes. Somebody says, well, what do you think I should do? I don't know. Well, I, you know, I don't know, but I don't have a problem saying to them, well, I'll tell you what, I don't have an opinion of what you should do, but I'll tell you what God says you should do. And I'll point you to what he says, you read it, you study it, you allow him to speak to you in your life, I will be a person to will point you to what God has to say about what you're going through in your life, and allow him to tell you what to do, and then you decide whether you're going to be obedient or not. But don't ask me my opinion, because see, if you think it's my opinion, and you don't like my opinion, then you'll just write it off and say, I'll find another opinion. You think I should stay with my wife? Because the Bible says I should. Oh, well, you know what? Well, if that's what it says, then I've got to deal with God. But if you just say I should do it because you say I should do it, I'll find someone else who will tell me I should have got rid of her a long time ago. See, we'll all find somebody that wants us to wants to tell us what we want to hear. And so what Paul was saying to them, is said, like, hey, you know what? Would you chill out and relax? The word that he used is interesting. It says that they would be quickly shaken from your composure or disturbed quickly shaken or disturbed and I like what he says quickly shaken you know what he's saying it's only been a year it's not even been a year since I wrote to you the first letter and already in less than a year you've already forgot everything that I told you and you're all shook up and disturbed about it you're all excited you're all you know you got your, your, as they say you got your panties in a bunch or whatever that is you know you know it's kind of like you got a little you got a wedgie you run around with the wedgie that's a new living by the way in case you're looking going wedgie But there are people like that. You meet people like that all the time. They run around. They're all excited, agitated all the time. They're all, you know, bent out of shape. It's like, and he's saying, I can't believe that you're bent out of shape so fast. It's not even been a year and you're already shook up. So I can't believe that. He's saying, hey, you know what? Listen to me. And I want to tell you the same thing. Listen to what God has to say. If you are confused about something in your life today, then listen to what God has to say And then be obedient in the direction that he gives you. He says to them, I can't believe, look what was shaking them up. You've lost your composure. You're violently excited is what the term is defined as. You're violently excited. You're all shook up because of a spirit or a message or a letter that you heard or read or heard was from us. He says, you know what? Don't be disturbed. Don't be deceived by any of that. What he's saying is, go back to the solid truth of the Word of God. And it's interesting because we need to look at that. You know what he's saying? To me, he's saying this. I don't care if the Pope or a Cardinal or a Bishop or a Rabbi or a Pastor or a Teacher or some Holy Man or some Prophet. I don't care. I don't care who told you that. You've got the Word of God to check it against. He said it about himself. I don't care if even an apostle of God tells you that that's truth. If it doesn't line up with what God has already said, then you throw it out because it's not truth. And look at Acts chapter 17. He gives his own example, his own illustration. Now remember up to this point, Paul has been very commending of this particular church at Thessalonica. There are many things that he said they were doing well. But there was one thing that they didn't do as well as people around them were doing. And I believe that this incident right here is what led him to make this statement. He's saying in Acts 17, look at verse 11. Or in verse 10. Starting there, he says, And the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. Now, he didn't go into the Berean mall. He went into the synagogue of the Jews. Just thought I'd let you know that says, now these were more noble-minded. Check it out. Who? These. Who are these? These that were in the synagogue at uh, Berea. They were more noble-minded than, look, oh, here they are, the recipients of Paul's letter, the Thessalonicas, the people we're talking about. He's saying they were more noble-minded, the Bereans were more noble-minded than the Thessalonians. Why? Because they received the word with great eagerness. They examined the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. You follow that? And look what the result was. And because many believed, along with a number of prominent Greek women and men. You see what he's saying? His indictment was to the Thessalonians. He said, There's many things I commend you on, and that your, your love is abounding, your faith is growing, you're making progress, but there's one thing that they lacked, and that was they did not examine the scriptures to see whether what the Apostle Paul was saying was true or not. And he's saying, and the Bereans did that. They didn't care who it was. They didn't care who was preaching in front of them. They didn't care what long list of credentials they had and how many degrees that they had and how many many titles that came with them. They did not make the assumption and we need not make the same assumption. Do not assume because somebody is teaching that what they're teaching you is true examine it against the word of God and when you examine it I'll tell you what will happen for those of us who are in Christ that put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and the spirit of God resides in us as you, are, as you hear the word of God preached and as it lines up with what God says the spirit of God inside of you says hey you may not want to shout it but you know it's true, amen and that's what they were doing they were checking it out and we need to check it out go with me for a second to Second uh, Corinthians and carrying the same idea Look at a couple of books ahead to 2 Corinthians and look what Paul has to say in the 11th chapter. In verses 13 through 15, talking about false teachers. He said, for such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And it's no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it's not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their deeds. He's saying, hey, you know what? Even Satan himself disguises himself as an angel of light in order to deceive people. It's no wonder that they're deceptive. Look ahead to Galatians again. And the same idea, and and just kind of wrap up this one thought. But in Galatians, look at chapter 1, verses 6 through 10. Here, here's, the same, here's the same words again that he uses. Look what he says. I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel. He says, I'm amazed. I'm amazed that you're getting away from the foundation. I'm amazed that you've gotten away from the fundamentals. I'm amazed that you've come so far away from that which is basic truth. You know, it's interesting, speaking of Green Bay Packers, you know Vince Lombardi was one of the most legendary coaches that ever coached in the NFL. And Vince Lombardi was very frustrated because he was a man that emphasized fundamentals. There there are certain truths and principles in every business, in every industry, in every occupation that are foundational truth that you can't get away from. There's just certain things you have to do to be successful in the NFL. You have to block right, you have to run your routes right, you have to execute right. There's just certain things. They're called the fundamentals that you can't get away from. And his team was getting sloppy, and they were getting away from the fundamentals, and he was frustrated with all of it. And in one meeting, he called his team together, and out of frustration, he picked up a football and said, gentlemen, this is a football. And he started from there, and he rebuilt the foundation that made them a great, legendary organization. And you know, and I think sometimes what what I'm reading here, he says, I'm amazed that you so quickly have deserted him. I'm amazed at that. And I think it was almost like Paul was standing in the midst of a group like this saying to them, "Men and women, this is a Bible. And in this Bible are all the truths that God wants you to know, of every area of life. This is God's fundamental. This is a Bible. And if you open the Bible and you study the Bible, you will be amazed at what God has to say to you about every area of life." So I'm amazed. That you've deserted him who called you by grace for a different gospel. And look what he says, which is really not another, only there are some who are disturbing you. There it is, quickly exciting you, getting you all excited, getting you all worked up. And they want to distort the gospel of Christ. Look, it says, but even though we, speaking of the apostles, even though we, or what? Or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to that which we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so I'm telling you again. If any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to that which you've received, let him be accursed. If I tell you something different than the Word of God, the Apostle Paul says, let that man be cursed for what he's doing. Even if an angel from heaven comes and reveals to you the latest, greatest truth about God, let him be accursed. Why? Now, I don't know if you stop to think about this for a minute, but here's the way I see it. The book of Genesis is the book of beginning. The book of Revelation tells us about all the things we can expect in the future and anticipate God to do. There's the beginning and there's the ending. And everything in the middle tells us everything we need to know about how to enter a relationship with God by believing and trusting in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. And after that day of everything God expects of us as His people while we're still here on earth, how to live a life that's pleasing to God. Everything we need to know is there. There's the beginning, there's the ending, and everything in the middle. Now, what I don't understand is this. What else do we need to know? Something newer and improved. We all we all buy into that. I want something new. I want something improved. I want you know what? Hey, let me tell you something about life. The basic truths of life never change. The fundamental truths of the word of God never change. You may get bored with being obedient, but the truth never changes. You may want to hear some great new revelation that will take you off the hook from being obedient today, but you know what's always amazing to me about revelations from God? These new revelations, and we're all into angels now, you know, angel. you know, touched by an angel, seen by an angel, I saw an angel, an angel of light, an angel at the end of the tunnel, there's another one, here's flying by, you know, we're all, you know, we're, oh, there goes one now. We're all into this stuff now, right? And so this, uh, angels, the latest, craziest thing, because if they can get ratings on TV, then we're going to push angels. Let me tell you something about angels. Angels stood in amazement at the plan of God. Angels in Hebrews 1, 1 through 3 says that God in former times and the latter ways used to speak through the prophets, used to speak through dreams, used to speak through visions. But he says this, but in, but in these last days, he has spoken to us once and for all through his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the last message from God, the greatest revelation of God of what man needs to do to enter into forgiveness with God and be reconciled to God. Jesus Christ is the message. He is the total embodiment of the message. He is it. There is nothing else we need. And as we get these revelations from angels, for example, the Mormons got a revelation from a resurrected personage called Moroni. And you know what? And I dug into it a little deeper and God gave me a little tidbit. You know, if you spell Moroni, M-O-R-O-N-I, you know, you can get the words out of it. I moron. Um, So take it for whatever it's worth. Oh, that's not politically correct but it's biblically correct. Think about this. Every revelation that has come supposedly from the heavens or from some holy man of God has contradicted what God has already said. Now, who's lying? Not God. Because the character of God, as we get to know God, God is not like man that had changed his mind that he had lied to us. That what God says he's going to do, he's going to do. And that God is trustworthy, his character is pure, and in God there is no darkness at all. So there's not even a chance or a hint that God may change his mind and pull the rug out from underneath us. What God says is true is truth for all of eternity. And he's put it in writing so we can hold it against him. Think about it. Anybody, it's worth pu- anything worth saying is worth putting in writing. Why do you have a marriage license? It's in writing. Here's the promises you made. Here's the agreement you entered too. Why do you have a house deed or, or a house loan? It's in writing. Every major decision in life is in writing. God says, I'm not afraid to put what I'm telling you in writing. I want it in writing. I want you to check it out. I want you to understand what's being said. So, so the point is this. Don't get caught up in all the nonsense and speculation that goes on in the world around us. We don't need to run around and ask each other what our opinion is of certain things. We don't need to get caught up in any of that. What we need to be doing is spending a little more time opening our Bibles and studying it so that we know what God's plan is for our lives, so we know what God's plan is for humanity. That's all we have to do. Open the book and study it. What he's saying, in essence, is this. No matter what anyone tells you, it is not the day of the Lord because what? We haven't been gathered together to Him. Do you remember what he already said? Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Let me remind you. 1 Thessalonians 4, Paul said, Hey, you don't need to think you're in the day of the wrath of God or the great tribulation day. Don't you remember less than a year ago I wrote you a letter. You, you asked me a question. You said, Hey, what happens to people when they die? Where, where, where do they all fit into this rapture of the church or the gathering of God's people? And this is what he said in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13. He says, About this, we don't want you to be uninformed. You don't have to be ignorant anymore. About those who have died, that you may not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. For this is what he says, For if we believe that Jesus Christ rose, died, and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Christ. Saying, For this we say to you, by the authority or the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord shall not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first then we who are alive will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be. Look what he says. Comfort each other with these words, the truth of the word of God. So what Paul is saying to them is this. Look, don't forget what I've already told you because we're going to build on that as a foundation for truth. He's saying you cannot be living in the day of the Lord even if an angel from heaven said that you are, even if another prophet came along and said that you are, even if an apostle came and said that you are, you are not living in the day of the Lord because the rapture or the gathering of God's people hasn't taken place yet. Let's get it straight. And what's interesting to me is that God's whole timetable begins with the gathering of God's people, the rapture of the church. I don't know how anybody can read through the Bible and not see what God's saying about the removal of God's people from here the planet Earth. It may be hard to conceive. It may be hard to believe. But you know what? It's not hard for me to believe because I know who I believe in. And I know the kind of God that I believe in. And I know what he's done so far. He's created the universe by the power of his word. It's not going to be difficult for him to gather up his people and to take them up into heaven with him. That's not that tough for God to do. And so for some, it may, sound, it may sound crazy, it may sound, you know, Star Trek-ish or whatever you want to say, but the comfort that I have is this, that's what God says is going to happen. Do you understand everything that God says is going to happen? No, good thing, because that means that God's a lot sharper than me. And that's a comfort for everybody. See what he's saying? He's saying, hey, I already told you that the rapture, the gathering of God's people takes place first, so look for the great coming of Jesus Christ for you as believers. The only thing that God's people really need to be doing while we're living here on earth is to look for the day that Jesus will come to take us to be with him. That's all we need to look for, and I'll I'll explain to you why. Because everything else that happens afterwards, we're not there to be a part of it until later on. Let me show you. Look, at it also says, now in addition to the rapture of the church at the same time as the rapture of the church, go back to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, in addition to the rapture of the church at the same time, another great event takes place simultaneous to the rapture of the church. And that is found in verses 5 through 7. And I like what Paul says, he says to him again, don't you remember I told you these things already? He says, and you know what restrains him now so that in his time he may be revealed speaking of the man of lawlessness that will that will come. He says for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work, only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Now understand what's going to take place. God is saying that Jesus himself will come to gather his people to be with him, in what's called the great the, the rapture of the church, the gathering of God's people. Saying after We, the true church, those who have come to know Jesus Christ, not those who go to church, not those who are involved in church, but those who are baptized into the true body of believers by putting their faith and trust in jesus christ that's important to understand just because you go to church doesn't mean that you're going to be with the lord you need to examine yourself to find out in your own heart have i ever put my faith and trust and believed in jesus christ and his death on the cross his resurrection for the forgiveness of my sin when i've invited jesus christ into my life the bible says therefore old things pass away all things become new and i am born into the family of god for those of us who are in christ we will be gathered with him now the church is going to be gone from the face of the earth. And what's fascinating about that is there's going to be an interesting time of great judgment that will take place here on the earth after the church is gone. Now, what's interesting, he says this, he says that, you know what, I told you these things already, don't you remember them, I'm going to tell you them again, and here's what's going on. You know what restrains him now. Who? The man of lawlessness who will be revealed, the great world dictator that will come up out of the midst of everything that's going on. He says, you know what's restraining him now. And as we look at this, it says, so that in his time he may be revealed. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so, and he until he is taken out of the way. Now here's where the confusion is on the part of many people. What or who is he who restrains this man of lawlessness from being revealed? You know, what's interesting is this. God, don't forget this, God is in control of all things. There is evil in the world only because God allows evil to be in the world. We are not on the timetable of evil or Satan or anything like that. We are all on God's timetable and He allows evil to take place for His purposes and for His glory, as hard as that is to understand. Probably the best example of that is is in Joseph when he was sold into prison, uh, into slavery by his brothers. He ultimately ended up in Egypt. He was second command of all of Egypt, and he said to his brothers, what you did to me, you did for evil, but God turned it into something good, that God overcomes evil. And so we're on God's timetable, but here's the point. Well, what's keeping this great world dictator from from coming out of the ashes, so to speak, and taking his position of power? Well, the Bible gives us the answer, that there is a restrainer that is holding back the man of lawlessness, according to God's timetable. Now, there's all kinds of different theories. People have said, well, the restrainer was the empire of Rome. Well, you know what? Rome is coming on. It's not here anymore. You know, people have said that the restrainer is uh, Satan himself. But that doesn't make any sense, because Satan wouldn't restrain evil, because Satan is evil, and everything he wants to do is evil. So that doesn't make any sense. There those who say it's human government. The human government is what's restraining evil from the face of the earth. Well, I don't know about you, but all you've got to do is read the paper and find out that some of the most corrupt governments in the world are human governments. And they promote evil throughout the world. We see that all the time. It's not human government. So Some people say, well, you know, then, then who or what is this restrainer? And they look at it and say, well, wait a minute. In verse 6, the term what restrains him now is, uh, is neuter, so it can't be a person. But then later it says that he who restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And the answer is very simple. He who was restraining evil now is the Holy Spirit of God, living within the lives of every believer in the true church. And if it wasn't for the church and the Spirit of God, evil would run rampant on the face of the earth. The Holy Spirit of God is restraining evil from going past the boundaries that God has set and the parameters that God has established. So he's saying to us that, you know what? Hey, he who restrains evil now is the Spirit of God. Only God's Spirit is strong enough and powerful enough to restrain the forces of evil here on the face of the earth. And when God's people are gone, all of a sudden that restraint is gone. The Spirit of God will work as a redeeming factor, but he will not be working to restrain evil any longer. And all hell literally will break loose on the face of the earth. Could you imagine what this world would be like? Without, you know, don't underestimate the power of the Spirit of God and God's people here on earth. We are, are moral agents used by God to restrain evil. And some of us get tired of the battle. But the way I see it is this. It is inherent and it's built into the system. There will always be conflict. There will always be strife. There will always be tension when good and evil are present in the same environment. There are going to be those who want to do that which is wrong before God and promote and to push their agendas. And there will be those of us who stand in the gap as far as God is concerned to restrain evil and say, we're not going to allow you to do it and we're going to fight you tooth and nail. And there's going to be be confusion, there's going to be chaos, there's going to be tension, there's going to be a lot of aggravation as a result of it. Let me tell you, the first thing that's going to happen, the day that the restrainer, the Spirit of God, stops restraining evil from the world, the day that the rapture of the church takes place and all of God's people are gone, you know the first thing that's going to happen on that day? There are going to be people all over the world, they're going to stand up and applaud because we're not here anymore to get in their way. Every person that has a sexually promiscuous agenda is going to stand up and say, yes, they're finally out of our way. We can promote anything that we want. We can do anything that we want to do. Anyone whose agenda is in opposition to that with God's is going to stand up and say, finally, they're out of the way. All the abortion rights activists in the world are going to step up and say, good, there's no more restraints. We can do anything we want to do. The homosexual agenda will stand up and say, yes, finally, we got them out of the way. Those puritanical, self-righteous people that are always trying to stop us from doing what we want to do. They're out of the way. Yes, this is a great day for all of us. But little do they realize that also their great hope of salvation rests on God's people as we share with them the truth and the love of Jesus Christ and the power of the transforming word of God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Little do they realize that the thing that they wanted to happen most will be the thing that will be to their greatest detriment. And little do they realize that all hell will break loose because they don't realize, you know, here's the way it is with evil. Hey, you know what? I want to promote my evil, but I want somebody to stop your evil from promoting into my territory. Isn't that the way it always is? Well, can you imagine for a moment? Hey, we all have a double standard. I want to do what I want to do, but I don't want you to do what you want to do because if you, what you want to do is going to hurt me. I want somebody to stop you. And so from that standpoint, I applaud those who get in your way. But if you get in my way, get out of my way. Isn't that funny how that works? What God is saying is this. You know what? When we're out of the way and the restrainer is out of the way and the Spirit of God is no longer restraining evil, this is going to be one nasty, ugly place to live. And he's saying that the rapture of the church takes place first. The second thing that he says, which is kind of fascinating that we'll look at, is he says that there'll be a revelation, the revelation of Antichrist. The revelation of Antichrist. Notice what he says in verses 3 through 5. He says, let no one in any way deceive you. He's saying, hey, don't get caught up in it and don't get deceived by it. If you don't want to get deceived and you don't want to be confused, then listen now to what Paul has to say. By the authority of the word of God. Let no one deceive you in any way. For it will not come. What will not come? The great day of the Lord's Lord's wrath. The day of tribulation. The great day of the wrath of God will not come unless what? Number one, the apostasy comes first. And number two, the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. Who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. He says, do you not remember that while I was still with you, I was telling you about these things. He's saying, don't be deceived, listen to what I have to say. The first thing that's going to happen is this. There's going to be an apostasy or the apostasy that will take place. Now the word apostasy is fascinating because the word means, is defined as this, a willful turning away of the truth of the Christian faith. A willful turning away of the truth of the Christian faith. That is the definition of apostasy. And look with me, if you would please, at 1 First, uh, First Timothy uh, chapter 4. Paul warns Timothy, a young pastor, that this day, these days would take place. It says in 1 Timothy 4, look at verses 1 through 5. He says, But the Spirit explicitly says that in latter times some will fall away from the faith. And I like this. He's saying, hey, you can bank on this. This is guaranteed. That in the latter times, the Spirit explicitly says this, so there's no question about it, that in the latter times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits, doctrines of demons, by means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience, as with a branding iron, men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods, which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth, For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is to be received with gratitude. For it is sanctified by means of word of God and prayer. And as he goes through this, he says, Hey, listen to me, Timothy. Hey, be aware of this. There are going to be those who rise up from your midst who are going to deceive you and have you follow them in a direction that is contrary and contradicts the word of God. There are going to be those who tell people what they want to hear they're going to ask them what would you like to hear they will take surveys about what would you like us to preach on what would you like us to teach on they will take surveys and they will say we don't want to offend anybody we want to be politically correct we don't want to stand for anything so we can you know we we just want to make everybody feel good we want to make you feel good about your disobedience to God we want you to feel good about the fact that you're on the way, your way to hell and you'll be judged by God for rejecting Jesus Christ. So we're not going to tell you that because we don't want to offend you. We're going to make you feel good about your disobedience as a believer and the lifestyle that you're now living. We want to confuse you to believe that, yes, you can continue to practice such behavior and still be a Christian. We're going to confuse you and we're going to tell you what you want to hear because we want to be politically correct. We're going to tell you all of these things. He says, and they're hypocritical. They're, 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 uh, they, they don't live the life that they proclaim. They're going to be people that stand in pulpits. They're going to say to you, Hey, I'm preaching the Word of God. And you know what? They deny the very authority and the truth of the Word of God itself. I'm telling you what you want to hear. Said so those days are coming and apostasy is falling away from the truth. This type of falling away occurs when, and we st- when we stray from the truth of the Word of God. That's the kind of stuff that happens to people who stray from the Word of God. The Word of God is our anchor. The Word of God is our stability. The Word of God is truth and life. And when we stray from it, then we can fall for anything. And when we become people who want our ears tickled and want to hear what we want to hear instead of hearing the truth of the Word of God, as difficult sometimes as it is to swallow, then we become people who can be led the wrong way and go down the wrong path. We become the people who end up in Jonestown drinking Kool-Aid. We become people who end up being led astray by people that started out preaching the word of God, but at some point when their behavior, their personal morality doesn't line up with the word of God, they begin to change the word of God. I'm not going to preach on this subject anymore because I'm doing it in my own life. And so therefore, that must not be truth anymore. I'm just going to tell you the things that line up with what I believe and then let you go from there. We need to be people that are always examining daily the word of God to see what was being said is true. So there are going to be people that are going to rise up and tell you what you want to hear. Wake up! Can you understand what apostasy is all about? It is falling away from the truth of the Word of God. But is that what he's talking about here? No, it's not. Because if you go back to 2 Thessalonians, as as awful as apostasy is and falling away is, he says this, that there is going to be the apostasy, the greatest falling away that has ever taken place in the history of mankind. It is not an apostasy, because the church has always fallen away. The church has always fallen away from truth. The church is always looking for someone to make them feel better. It's not an apostasy, a falling away. It is the great apostasy, the great falling away, the great rebellion that Jesus called the abomination of the desolation. And you know what? You're going to have to come back next time to find out what that is. But in the meantime, i got good news for you. If Jesus comes back first, you're not going to care as long as you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. Men and women, that's the seriousness of what's being told. We can look forward with great anticipation and hope to what God says about the future if we have a relationship with the God who's telling us the truth. But if you do not know Him, there's great fear and apprehension because everything that's being said is nonsense, It doesn't make any sense to you, and in fact it's frightening, and if you haven't left already, you probably can't wait to get out of here. But all I say to you is this, Jesus Christ was sent by God. He walked the face of this earth and lived a perfect life. He was hung on a cross because he claimed to be God. That was his crime. He died for our sins. He established who he was three days later when he rose from the dead and proved that he was truly indeed the Son of God. The Bible says if anyone would receive him, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. For it's by grace we've been saved through faith and not of ourselves. It's a gift from God. So that no human being can ever boast in the presence of God in heaven that we earned the right to be there. We will be God's trophies. We are his masterpiece, perfected in Christ Jesus. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ, I would encourage you to do so today. For today is the Spirit of the Lord. God's calling you right now. And I'd ask you to bow your head and pray with me simply this prayer. Father, I've never heard this and I didn't understand it but i believe that jesus christ died for my sins. i just receive him into my life i ask him to do whatever he wants i thank him for the forgiveness of my sin i thank him for the life that he gives me and the hope that goes beyond this life that one day i can be with him for eternity in heaven father we just thank you for your word and the truth of it god help us to become people who are not thrown around by the deceitful winds of doctrine, who aren't confused by all the nonsense in the world, but that we stick straight to the stability of the word of God, that we'll be firmly planted, that will have deep roots, that will have stability. And whatever we do, your Psalm 1 tells us that we'll be successful and that we'll prosper. God, we just thank you for the truth of your word that sets us free from the confusion around us. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.